Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. All right, hello, hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate. I am very lucky and excited to have my guest, Shay Castle. So Shay, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And of course, we always love to get the show started with a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing today. Absolutely. Um, well, I've been a journalist in and around Boulder for um, nine years, almost. I've been a, a journalist for a little bit longer than that. I previously came from Orlando, Florida, um, and I got a job at the Daily Camera. It was the biggest city I got an offer in, so that's that's the one I took. Um, and I worked at the Daily Camera for six and a half years, and for the past two plus years, I've been the publisher, owner, founder, and only reporter for Boulder Beat News. Very cool. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to talk to you. I love talking to people who start their own ventures. And I'm just curious uh, how you got into journalism to begin with. What got you interested in, in the news? It's not a, a conventional story, I wouldn't say. Um, I actually went to school for hospitality management, which I hated because the, the solution to most every problem was to fire someone. And I'm just, it's just not my style. But um, I got sick, unfortunately, and I lost my academic scholarship. So I had to go to a community college where I paid in cash, like as I worked full time. And oh, I had to wow. pick a major and I'd always been really good at writing, just always very, very good at and interested in writing. So I picked journalism. I took one class, intro to news reporting. I did one assignment, my first assignment, and the journalism professor came to me and said, you're a journalist. You are meant to be a journalist. Whatever you're doing, this is what you should be doing. So I did. I, I took over the school paper. I got an internship. Um, I got this job in Boulder before I could even graduate, actually. It was just immediately apparent that I was meant to be doing journalism. So it was kind of a fluke, but everything in my life really set me up to be a good journalist and a good storyteller. So I, I kind of fell into it and I'm, I'm supremely glad that I did. Yeah, we're, and we're happy to have you. But um, what do you think makes a good journalist, in your opinion? I think curiosity is the most important element. Um, I'm not a, a person with a lot of opinions. I think opinions are kind of crap. I don't know if you know that saying, like opinions are like buttholes. <laughs> um, my version of it is they're often full of shit. Like opinions just are, are irrelevant and pointless most of the time, unless they're coming from a really educated place. So I think most journalists are really curious rather than opinionated. They really want to know information rather than, you know, feeling like they have all the answers. And I, I find that in myself personally. And I find when I'm with people who like agree with me too much, I get annoyed and start arguing like the opposite back to them because, because I just think you should really consider as many perspectives as possible to have a, like a whole view. And most of the journalists I know are, are similar in that way too. So I think curiosity and empathy for me is a really big one. If you can't put yourself in someone else's place, I don't know what you're doing as a journalist. And most of the people I know that are journalists are very, very good at that. They just have a real heart and passion for people and they can really see themselves in a, a million different kinds of people. Uh, we're going to have fun on this episode. That totally makes sense. And that, I think that definitely helps transition into my next question, which kind of gives an explanation as to why you decided to go independent rather than working with some more established news outlet, because it kind of allows you to kind of make stories about whatever you want, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, I loved the camera. Don't get me wrong. It was a, a fantastic um, newsroom, especially for the size of it. It was just some really high quality training, high quality stories that we were able to produce. Unfortunately, you know, during my time there, they had just been bought by a, um, a hedge fund, I think a year before I got there. And it just declined. It shrank maybe by two thirds in the six and a half years I was there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And to just watch the decline of a wonderful institution and talented people, it was heartbreaking. And so in the last year or so, I, every interview I went on with anyone who was anyone, because I was a business reporter before I was a government reporter, mm-hmm. I, I started asking people like, what are you doing? What's the plan for the camera? Because it's not going to be around forever. And it's already declined so much not by any fault of their own, the, the hedge fund just cut and cut and cut. And there's only so much you can do with limited resources. So I kept asking like, what are we doing? What's the plan? Come on people, community leaders, like step it up. And the problem was there were journalism people and there were business people and neither one knew shit about the other. (laughs) So it was like, I realized like the adults aren't coming, they're not showing up. And I might be one of the the better positioned people to do something. So it really felt like born out of necessity. I was one of the more senior reporters left at the camera, which is incredibly sad with only six and a half years at the camera. Oh, but interesting. yeah, I just had the the kind of like deep knowledge that is really important to local journalism. So I, I decided, yeah, well, it, it needs done and I can do it. So that means it's my job. That's kind of one of my, one of my philosophies. That's, that's really cool. What, who makes decisions like that to sell news outlets to like hedge funds? Isn't, wouldn't the idea be for them to like support the business itself and keep it, keep it going with its vision, just to provide it with funding or how does that work? Well, it works in a lot of different ways, depending on the ownership. I believe the ownership of the camera before me was um, a long time, you know, publishing company and family that were, were getting a little older. And so they were near retirement and right. newspapers got so hammered, you know, in, in the dot-com um, era and with uh, Craigslist, classifieds were a huge bulk of our revenue. And then with internet ads, you know, Google and Facebook take up about 80% of digital ad revenue. So the camera's readership didn't really decline, you know, even in the print paper. And to this day, I believe it's still profitable, but it was just so hit hard by all of those factors became harder and harder to make it a sustainable business, at least one that pays like a decent wage and, and benefits and things. So by the time I got there, you know, I got hired on for like 30 grand a year. I never made more than 30, $38,000 a year. Like that's not really super sustainable. So you had all these hedge funds all across the country. This is not just the camera come in and realize that they could extract a lot of resources. Like the camera owned a building downtown, which is now, um, home to, oh, what's down there? Uh, It's on like 10th and Pearl. So it was like a multi-million dollar building that they sold. So all these hedge funds saw, oh, well, we have these real estate assets we could, you know, squeeze from. They're still extracting huge amounts of profit from the papers while they cut and cut and cut. And that's, you know, what these, these vulture capitalists do. Cut the people. Keep keep the profit. Keep the profit. (laughs) Yeah. So there was still money to be made, but not, not in a not in a way that allows news to be sustainable in communities, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I don't even know how that could 
be the case. And I'm sure we'll get into talking about all how, how news works. I just wanted to ask you what you kind of see the difference between corporate journalism and like independent journalism. Because what I consider you doing is starting your own thing and doing it independently versus like CNN, Fox News, those big news outlets, which would appear trust is at an all time low at this point where we know they're just dying for profits. Is, is there a way to Oh, well, let me just let you let you explain what you think the difference between like a corporate news outlet or like an independent outlet, like someone like you is started by like one person. I think there is a little bit more freedom and willing to experiment um, with the type of coverage and, and what you cover. And I do want to dispel a little bit of a myth that, you know, corporate ownership somehow means that newspapers can't write certain things or they, they can't cover certain things. I would never in all my time there, did anyone say to me like, don't write this or don't write it this way? I think it's just that these corporate entities tend to attract kind of more the old school journalists, the ones, you know, cause they do the same the things the same way they've been done for years and years and years. So when you get kind of those old school journalists in there, no one's telling them what to do. They just have a certain way of doing things that limits experimentation and limits a little bit of like, I don't know, not freedom necessarily, but the idea of like objective journalism was invented around the time that advertising came to support journalism because businesses advertising in papers didn't want to alienate customers. So there was like this kind of push to be as like center, unbiased, as objective as possible. And and that's not always the way that news was. And I think with these independent outlets, you see a bit more risk-taking, a bit more willingness to be you know, possibly alienate some readers and, and go out there. I had an analysis piece that I wrote once where the whole thrust of it was calling out what was bullshit and what was legit. And that's not something you'd ever see in like- a in, in what? <laughs> in like bullshit, well, legit, what? Um, that was specific to the this online petitioning and uh, petitioning fiasco that the city saw last year. Huh. But it's just an example of the type of stuff that independent outlets can do that corporate entities could do, but they're just a little less likely to. Fair enough. Yes. Yeah, so, so tell me about Boulder Beat News. Like what's the deal? You started this project. I want to hear all about it. What's like your vision with what you're doing? It's a really good question. I've been thinking about it a lot. You know, I've been doing it for over two years now. Um, it's just me. I'm completely subscriber supported, which is Badass. amazing. Yeah. My subscribers are, are incredible. I get discouraged a lot and then I always get a nice note so much more than I ever did at the camera. Like once a week, I'll get someone saying like, Hey, I love what you, you're doing. Like, keep it up. And it's like, okay, okay. I got to keep, <laughs> got to keep going. But I really do want to turn it into a community owned outlet. I'm still exploring what the eventual business model might be, but I'm really intrigued by the idea of like a public benefit corporation or a co-op model. I think something where the community really, really owns it. And that means they have a say in how it runs too. I, I just don't think there's, I don't think news can be profitable to, to be quite frank with you. The New York times is the biggest newspaper in America and it's still not profitable as far as, as far as I know, they make a lot of money, but they spend a lot of money. And from everything I've seen, you know, the Boulder beat is technically profitable, but that's because I only take, you know, like $30,000 a year as a salary. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's what I make. And that's what I, what I earn. There's not really any profit there. And if you're going to pay people sustainably, especially at a wage that they could live on in Boulder. Nothing that I have seen has suggested that news can be profitable, but I'm just one person and there are other people out there trying to figure the same thing out. As far as I know, no one has quite cracked that code yet, 
but um, I think if it could be done anywhere, it could be done in Boulder. Yeah, Boulder's awesome. Well, let me ask you this. Is the USPS profitable? Probably not, right? This is a good question that I've actually read a bit about. Um, They were profitable until Congress in like 2006 passed some laws that they had to fund their pensions for like 50 years out or multiple decades out. And then they capped the amount they could charge for their services. So in like the matter of like six years, they went from super profitable to billions of dollars in debt. So mm-hmm. like if USPS has been profitable. It could be profitable news. I don't know. I don't know if journalism can, it has been before, but it's a different world we're living in. So, well, it, corporate, surely the corporate media makes lots of profit from selling ads and capturing people's attention. No, like CNN, like the big ones, like Fox and CNN. I'm not as familiar with TV news, so I don't know. Okay. They might, they might, but that's a completely different beast as far as like, newspapers and you know like written outlets i don't know of any i mean it's being done like the camera is still profitable but Mm -hmm. they have to hit such insane margins that they've had to cut i don't know if you can be profitable and sustainable i think maybe you could generate like two to three percent profits a year and if someone was happy with that that's fine but that's never going to satisfy like the corporate model it. That's why I think it has to be like community owned nonprofit or something like that, because the amount of profit you can generate, I think is just so, so low that it's never going to be a competitive kind of like business. Yeah. Well, no, because the corporate model is make as much money as possible at all costs, it would seem. But I, I disagree with that. But, you know, a lot of businesses take up that that motto. But it would seem that like the USPS, it's this public service that we need to have a successful society so we can all transfer stuff to each other. So that's why we have this post office that is, is owned by the government or whatever. Could, could we not have like a news outlet that was like that? Wasn't that originally what it was supposed to be that like the government was supporting these news outlets to provide information to the people? And I'm not too versed in this stuff, but I've done a little bit of research. This is something that has been explored recently, like in Longmont, for instance, Um, this was a big push. And it is interesting, like the idea of like, like RTD is its own district. It's technically Mm -hmm. a government entity, but, and they do get funding from the state, but it would have to be somewhat separate because the, the job of the news first and foremost is to be a watchdog on the government. There's all sorts of different and everything, but like, it's a little tricky when you're getting paid by the entity you're overseeing, like that just opens the door for so much corruption and issues. So it would have to be, got but plenty it of that. be taxpayer funded. If it was like a separate district or something, people are looking into this. It's just radically new and different. And as such, people are really with good reason, like trepidatious about it. But I, I think it's an avenue to explore for sure. Absolutely. And the coolest thing that people don't realize is that all these systems that we have that we call society were created by people and are totally lean. And if enough people speak out and are activists, we can actually change them. And that's one of the things I try to promote on this show all the time. And I'm always trying to find solutions of better ways to do things that we're already doing. I'm trying to do that with my business. I'm trying to explore those ideas with my podcast so I can fund people that way. But what I wanted to ask you is obviously Boulder Beat News is is for the city of Boulder. So why is what happens on like a local level so important just in general this is one of the questions i want to ask you a question about um i like to play this game i call six degrees of separation (laughs) but Mm -hmm. with local government i just want you to tell me something that frustrates you in like your daily life or something you've noticed i don't know if it's like you know potholes or like something that makes your business harder or just any little thing it doesn't have to don't even try to connect it to local government in your head just what's an issue that you have in your day-to-day life 
not not with my business you mean with like the society because i'm going to talk about how when you start your real estate business everyone's like how much experience do you have and it's like how am i supposed to get experience if i haven't sold any houses yet you know what i mean that's what i that's what i think of because i'm like you know honestly i'm on this podcast with you but right before i'm doing this i'm making letters and i'm thinking about how to do sales but if you're talking about are you asking about like like the the town itself yeah little frustrations or like things you would like to see changed or or anything like that i don't know if it's like you know potholes on your drive or like weeds when you walk along the sidewalk or just like any, I don't know if there's anything like that. Maybe you're an incredibly positive person who thinks life is wonderful, but <laughs> I love Boulder. I'm an incredibly positive person. I mean, I knock on doors all day long. I'm walking around the city, looking at the mountains. It's beautiful. I tend to not get caught up in little annoying things. I'm used, I just, I'm the kind of guy where like people were sitting at the stoplight. I'm like blaring music going like, <laughs> so when you, when you ask me that, I really, I really don't know. I think we, we live in a, in a really special place. Um, potholes are annoying, but honestly, they've been fixing them around here. I'm trying to think of something off the top of my head that is like annoying around Boulder. I don't know. There's a lot of construction, but that's going to make the, t the town better. Yeah. I'm just going to turn anything into like a positive thing. I don't oh, know. Man, I can't believe you're stymieing me. Like the first time I've done this, but that's, that's <laughs> construction is like a great, great example because it's one of the like core debates in Boulder is, you know, about growth and development and like the future of our town. And that is 100% a local level. The federal government isn't coming in and, and telling us what to build and where, like that's all controlled at the local level. There's so much that local government has to do with your life, you know, from the sales taxes you pay to, you know, what your street looks like, how quickly they shovel it, like where they shovel, where they plow. There's so much I love that people are in, involved in the federal and state level and they absolutely should be. But if you want to make the most difference in your life, the local government is where it's at. Like they decide rules for businesses and it's just so much. And the other thing is you can have a real impact. Like you can call up your city council member, you can send them an email and they'll answer you. And I've seen it happen where people testify in public before city council and they change their mind. I mean, like not all the time, but it happens. So you're, you're so close to the decision makers and to the laws that govern your life every day in ways you don't realize that it's like, to me, I get tremendously, tremendously excited about it because the national level, it just feels like so hopeless and pointless and you're mm -hmm. so far removed from the centers of power, but here, like you are the power. And, and I, I just wish more people realized that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I try to talk about that on this show all the time. And I've got one for you. I don't like seeing trash in the Boulder Creek. I, I love the creek and I see uh, plastic bags and trees and I see Gatorade bottles and stuff. That's that is something that I don't like. That is such a good example. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the waterways are either going to be like utilities department or parks and rec or open space, depending on where they are. Um, and that's something you can literally like go and report where trash is. You can send letters, you can be like, hey, what are we doing to, to clean this up? And there are several efforts underway to, to clean up the waterways. Um, obviously, each of these issues is like complex and vast more than just like picking up trash. But that's like the perfect example of like mm -hmm. where your local government matters. Where are they spending their money? Like, are those departments funded enough? Are they funding too many like desk jobs versus people out there doing the work? Like, this is all stuff that we have control over as, as the citizens. Yeah. Or I just, I'm always, I'm such a big picture guy and I get criticized for being too big picture and not like relatable to people. But like, I'm just thinking like, can we just not 
like have plastic? Like, can we just not have Gatorade bottles in plastic bags? Like, is there, if, if I'm, if people are just going to do what they want with what they get, you know, they'll throw it on the ground, whatever, you know, we try to get people to stop littering, but I'd love to, to not have tons of plastic pollution, you know? Another super great example, because Boulder has actually been pushing for several years. There's a state law that keeps local governments from banning materials like Boulder can't ban styrofoam under state law. But Boulder mm -hmm. has been lobbying to overturn that. And it's like possibly going to happen this year. So this is also something that like you could talk to your local officials about and they'll be like, hey, we're on it. We're doing it like and here's how to participate if you want to like lend your voice. So these are excellent, excellent <laughs> suggestions. Cool. Yeah, but I always try to not like coerce people. But like the fact that like we have microplastic in our water, that it's just like unavoidable. You're just going to drink it. So just like tackling this problem is I'm pretty uh, intense about. But um, so how would you recommend an average citizen who is passionate about issues uh, get more involved in the local government? I'm sure they could start by reading your work. Yes. Well, I, I wasn't going to plug my own work, except for I did. That's what we're here. <laughs> I know. I'm not much of a salesman. It's it's one of my downfalls, as I think. <laughs> um, I actually did commission a series called Boulder 101, where I, I have started covering the, these local topics in super, super depth, but at a very accessible level. Um, and I had a local reporter do local government 101 for me. And there's a whole section on there of like, who do you call if you know, you see trash in the creek or there's a whole list of like- Ghostbusters. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, where do you go? And it also breaks down how to participate in city government, whether that's at city council or we have, you know, like almost two dozen boards and commissions that are very like topic specific. So there's one to do with water resources. There's a board for parks and rec. There's one for open space. And that's like a really great entryway because council meetings are really big. There's a lot of people watching. It's, they have their set agenda. These boards, there's not as much participation. So you can get there and get your message out to like five or six people plus the staff that are watching. And it's like such an easy in to people who are in the know and, and doing the work. So that's where I really recommend that people start with these like ancillary kind of groups. Is there like a place on the, the, the town website where there's like a list of all these different boards that they can like choose what they're passionate about and like click on it? Yes, there is a list. I, you can just like Google Boulder boards and commissions and that'll come up. I also have a list on the Boulder 101 that I was talking about. Right, um, right, right. And there are like contact information. It's, it's really well done. Like the city of Boulder, I know they get criticized a lot and with good reason. And I have to say that like, they're super great about like, here's where you go. Here's who to call. Like they're very transparent with that information and it's super easy to find. Do you think other cities can can be more like that? It seems like we're trying to create this like amazing model in Boulder to show like other cities how to do stuff. I'm just, yeah. What Do you know much about how it, how it works in the rest of the country? I mean, I know various ones from my reporting where I have to, to reach out to other officials in other places. And, you know, like I, I was the business reporter for Longmont for a while. And oh, cool. I don't think it's necessarily exclusive to Boulder. It, it's more about like the user interface. I have found that government officials at the local level um, and even at the national level are like super willing to help. I mean, the, you know, fish and game warden for the state of Wyoming is like not getting a million calls a day from the press. <laughs> like right. it's usually you're calling like these, if you're not calling politicians, you're calling actual like people that work in the government. They're so helpful. Like that's why they're there. They're doing public service. So I have found people all over the country to be just like incredibly open and helpful. 
Very cool. All right. So if you don't mind, I just, I love talking about big picture stuff. So we're going to go a little big picture here for a second and see if I can get your opinion on this. So me personally, I, I don't read the news ever. I think it's totally toxic, disgusting, and completely designed to elicit these negative emotions. So people will come in and keep um, staring at the stuff because if you see a headline, like the world is ending, someone's going to be like, oh, maybe I should like check and see if the world's ending. Um, is I just, is there any kind of solution? I remember years and years ago, I was in some, some class and we talked about how there was this like good news show and it lasted for like two years because they didn't make any money at all. So it seems like this, it's, it's the it's attention economy, whether it's through social media, through television, television trying to get people to stare at you so you can advertise to them is there any solution to this problem where we can provide information to people both in both positive and negative senses i'm trying to think of like something really good that happened last year and it's like it never gets you don't hear like big rah-rah reporting about amazing good things typically it's much more common some sort of disaster scenario is what what are your just personal thoughts on this i guess I think this is a very apt criticism. Um, I mean, my first thought when I read this question was like, well, how the fuck do you know what's going on if you don't read the news? Like, where are your sources? How do you know? How do you know how to vote? Like, I, I have an answer. Okay. I, I, I talk to I talk to people because I feel like if something's very important that I will hear it through my network of people who it's like they can filter the news for me because I trust the individuals, but I don't trust these large institutions that are going after profit. So when something important, for example, when the world was ending uh, last year and I was knocking on doors, some guy was outside his house, like glaring at me, like, what are you doing knocking on doors? And I'm like, Hmm, maybe I should like think about what's going on. And then I got home and heard that the world was ending. So like, if something's really important, I'll figure it out. But like, I don't need to hear about every single death of every single COVID case or every single thing. I just don't think it's constructive to live in my life. I think that's very fair. And I, I think a lot of news people would be super judgmental about that, but I don't, I think Everyone's you are judgmental. indicative. I, I don't want to judge you because I think it's more instructive than anything. Like you are indicative of how a lot of people get their news. You know, my roommate, um, he's upstairs working, but like, I'm his news source. And he's like this, he's like, it'll get to me if it's important. And it does like important news does filter through there. The one issue with that is like, it's being filtered through various people with various opinions and levels of, you know, information. And, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so I would encourage people to add a journalist or trusted source into that network. Like that's what I do. I filter the news for people. You know, when the yeah. shooting happened in Boulder, I put out a, a newsletter that said like, Hey, here's the highlights of what you need to know if you want to know it. But I put it like way down at the bottom in case people were overwhelmed. Like it's down mm -hmm. there. You can see it if you want to, but you don't have to. And like, that's what I try to do with some of these bigger issues that, that aren't really within my scope. I, I only publish once a week. So I take like, here's what you need to know in like the bite-sized chunks. You can do 10 minutes once a week and still be informed. And if you want more information, it's there. So I think news organizations do serve that role of filtering to vary with varying degrees of success. I think the daily news grind is, you know, a little much for me. That's why I do once a week because I think every day is, it's just like, like you said, it gets overwhelming. And I think the negative news coverage is, um, this is a valid criticism and it's one that I'm not really sure what to do about because mm -hmm. with limited resources, what should I cover? Something that needs attention and needs fixing or something that's just like, yay, makes you feel good. So it's a very valid criticism. And I hope people understand that 
why it's happening is not like we want to alarm you or, you know, I want to stress you out. It's just my job is to watch the city government and let you know when, when stuff is not right. And so unfortunately that does tend to be a lot more negative coverage because someone needs to be like, Hey, pay attention to this. It's, it's not okay. Um, but that is super valid criticism and I totally get it. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know what we can do about it to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously it's been going on for, for years and years and years. So I just, I just figured I would ask you, it wasn't meant to be like aimed at you. I just meant to talk to someone who's like in, in news. What do you think about people who just get their news from like late night comedians? I don't like to pass judgment. I'm, everyone is busy. I, and I have to say personally, if I wasn't covering, you know, city government and city council as a job, like I'm, I'm working class. I don't have the time or energy to devote to news. And I wish more people in power and with time and leisure understood that, that like the ability to pay attention is such a privilege in this country. You know, if, if this wasn't my job, I would be fighting just to survive, just to pay my bills, just to mm-hmm. like that. I have, you know, a lot of trauma, like a lot of stuff going on that most of this country does. Like when most of this country is living paycheck to paycheck, like you don't have time and attention to spare to the news, to the government. So, you know, I think people have to do what's, what's best for them. My personal hope and what I try to do with the beat is to be like, Hey, I can be a trusted person. Like I'm a real person. This is why I'm such a fan of like local news because you can get to know your local journalist as a human being. You can like sit down across from them and have a coffee or a beer and then like maybe fold them into your network. So, and there's, and then fortunately in Boulder, there's so many journalists here, like not as many as there used to be, not as many as there needs to be, but there's still like enough people out and about doing this work that you can find someone that's like, Hey, I like you. I trust you. And then they just become like another person in your network. Yeah. On that note, thanks. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Um, I wanted to ask you about something that's obviously very relevant now, which is uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of discourse. I believe that when we have these big issues that we need to talk about, obviously the news, we should publicize it. And if something's a problem, I agree. We need to hear about it, whether it's negative or not. But what are your thoughts on our modern state of discourse um, about, about issues people are particularly passionate about whether you know talk about um trans rights or climate change or whatever it seems that we're in this this time now where certain there's this cancel culture where we're trying to shut down people who have differing opinions from us is is i just wanted to get your your opinion on that how do we deal with this because i'm i'm a personal believer that if we don't allow people to speak they'll end up in these little coves and they'll get together with their pitchforks and they'll come out and they'll like attack so it's like i think we should just let people speak but i would love to get hear your thoughts on this yeah i appreciate this question it was another one that made me be like oh but actually i've been (laughs) i've been like inwardly ranting about this for a while because i just I don't believe in cancel culture. Like we literally used to burn people at the stake when we didn't like what they did. Like mm-hmm. Pernicus, Galileo, like that's fucking cancel culture. We used to jail LGBTQ people. That's yeah. fucking cancel culture. For real. Like I think society has been deciding what's okay and what's not for all of time. Ever since there's been a society, it's just now we have different tools to do it. And what society deems acceptable is also changing. Like, I also think that, you know, online is, is not necessarily the best place for discourse, but I don't know that human beings have changed all that much in a couple millennia. And I just think it just feels different because we have different tools and different forums, but like, you know, the Dixie chicks that, that often gets brought up as like an early example of cancel culture. 
and from the right, not from the left. So I personally mm-hmm. don't believe in cancel culture. It's just, it's just people doing what they've always done and deciding what's okay and what's not. And those norms are changing and the way in which we do that is also changing. But I mean, I totally get it. I get where people are coming from when they, when they feel that there is cancel culture. I personally have, you know, there are probably a couple things in my past, you know, I dressed up as, as like a geisha for Halloween a couple years when I was in college. I didn't, I didn't know any better. Not that that's an excuse, but like, to me, I had the choice to like delete those photos or not off my Facebook. And I thought, you know what? No, I'm going to keep them because I deserve to be held accountable for when I hurt people. And I think that's like at the basis of, for me, at least the very bottom of what we owe one another is to hear how our words and actions affect one another. And I do think people could come at that and holding people accountable with a little bit more love and empathy, but I totally get like, if I hurt someone, they're probably not gonna be like, oh, let me lovingly correct you. <laughs> they're gonna be like, fuck you, you hurt me. And I, I feel it's my personal responsibility to at least listen to that. You're cool. Yeah, thank you. Great, great, great response. I think I feel like most most people are not on board with cancel culture, but at the same time, I always like like you. I always try to see both sides of an argument, and I really can empathize with both sides because everyone, nobody's waking up and saying I'm the evil person trying to spread evil around the world. Everyone thinks they're trying to do what's right by their for their family, their loved ones, and it's just like. I just personally think just just talk rather than I think I just don't think silence is going to work. But, you know, who am I? What, what is what I think matter? But on another note, I want to hear about your involvement with the Community Foundation in Boulder County. I saw that on your on your website. What is that or on a site somewhere? Right. Um, well, I've been involved with them on, on several fronts. I helped create their 2019 trends report, which is, you know, their big community document that's like, here's where the need is you know, here's the gaps that, um, in our healthcare system or education or, or whatever it is. Um, so that was my first involvement with them. I helped do their trends diary project, which is collecting, you know, like first person narratives of how people are coping during COVID and the nice things they were doing for one another. Nice. And for the last several months, I've been involved in a fellowship, which is on equity reporting which is really, you know, teaching reporters and the media of how to like, how do you include equity in your stories? How do you, you keep that focus and lens? How do you get these stories from different communities, but not be extractive, um, which has been phenomenal. It's, it's been such a learning experience and I really, really love it. Um, and then for my project for that fellowship is this project called Underhoused, which is what I'm calling it. I kind of want to shift the way we, we think about housing and housing challenges, you know, like we measure employment in unemployment and underemployment. And I think housing, you know, obviously there's the unhoused, which gets a ton of focus in Boulder. And I think there's a lot of people living what I would call underhoused, which is housing that doesn't meet your needs. And I'm not talking about like, I think a lot of people don't have a lot of choice when it comes to housing, particularly if you're, you know, you don't have the money and in Boulder with as expensive as housing is like, that's a huge group of people, people Mm -hmm. who are retired, who can't afford to sell because where are they going to go? People who are living with like meth, like mold and pests, people who are living with too many people. So I just really think it's a good way to get a lens into like, what are the sacrifices people are making to stay in Boulder and to get them to a vision? Like if you could choose whatever house you want, like, what would you choose? Whatever living situation. And I'm not talking like, you know, a second house in the mountains and a house on the beach. I mean, like for me, my ideal living situation would be like a tiny house in a community of like all women. 
I would really love that, but that, that's not something that's like legal or feasible in Boulder. So I'm just tr trying to get people to think like, what do you, what would you want if you could? And what is it going to take to get there? But it, it definitely can be. And then are you aware of like the bedrooms for people per, uh, petition and all that stuff? You should definitely watch the last couple episodes that I just released. We've been talking about. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a good transition to talking about like what you, what the Boulder's vision for the future would be. Because we really, like you said, if we get involved with the local government, we can change these policies and, and create these communities that we want. And I always, and I've, we've been talking a lot about how being surrounded by people who are like-minded and living in communal environments uh, can provide a more fulfilling life. So that, that's, that's very interesting. And I think more and more people um, in like our younger demographic are interested in, in different ways of living rather than isolating ourselves in these giant homes. Um, I'm not I, I, I don't really try to have opinions, but I love hearing everyone's thoughts. It's very interesting. Well, thank you for sharing on that. Um, what do you see as Boulder's role for, for creating a positive future through specific leadership, whether we were to create these, these little pockets of communities where people can feel involved or be leaders on climate change? Because it seems like um, Boulder really does try to be this model for how to live a, you know, a, a futuristic or a better society, a better city, you know? I can see why people feel that way. And, and Boulder does lead on a lot of fronts. I don't know when it comes to like the type of community and who's living here that we're a great model for the future. We've lost mm -hmm. population the last couple of years, which is, you know, it is what it is, but expensive. <laughs> yeah, it's expensive. And if you look at who's moving in the houses that are going up, it's we're losing people and we're gaining like more richer people, which is indeed fine if that's what we want to be. But my point is, is like, and why I encourage everyone to get involved is like everyone, and with this housing project, everyone deserves a say in what they want Boulder to be, what they want their future community to be. And if you do want that to be like fewer people, which a lot of people do, like, good on you. Like, that's your, that's your, you know, that's your jam. Like, you deserve a say. Um, it's unfortunate, though, because the people who have the time and the leisure to get involved aren't necessarily getting like their future vision realized. Um, because if you're working, you know, three jobs, you don't have a lot of time to go talk to city council. Um, I think Boulder's doing a lot of the right things. I think Boulder's doing a lot of the wrong things too. Like every time I talk about housing and homelessness, we're doing so much that's amazing. And then doing so much that's just like national experts and thought leaders are like, this is bad. Don't, don't do this. <laughs> so it's really frustrating. That's how I feel about Boulder. I love it and I hate it. Um, but I'm very encouraged by like the ordinary everyday people who are trying to get educated and, and involved and, and I'm really encouraged by the passion, whether or not it's like a passion that I agree with, like people are so engaged here. And I think that's, that's really, really important to see. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on the homelessness stuff? I don't really know anything about it. Oh my gosh. It's such a, such a huge topic. Um, I've been covering it in depth for like the last six months and I will probably continue for like another year. You know, homelessness has risen for the last four years in America as a whole and in Boulder for the last three. There are more people living now outside, like unsheltered in cars or, or in the park than there are in shelters nationally in Boulder. Some by choice in, in their vans. This is true. Some by choice in their minority. Van. <laughs> a minority. I would say minority. Yes. Um, and I, I mean, there are like the van lifers. I think that that's really cool. And I think I would challenge people a little bit. Like there are people who do choose that. My question is like, would you choose it if you could afford a place to live? Like in some future 
dream world where you only had to pay a hundred bucks a month to like rent a place, would you still choose to live in a van? Some people would, but I think it's a very slim minority. So it feels like a choice to some, but there are, Boulder has that like traveler element always has It's like a hippie, hippie kind of place. So there are some, but I, that is a minority of people. And that's just borne out by the data everywhere that has an affordable housing problem has a homelessness problem. And as rents go up and housing costs go up, homelessness goes up. Like there's a direct link there. So it's a super, super complex topic. One that's very, you know, hot and bolder right now. And I'm just doing my best to try to like fight through it and see like, where can we do better? You know? Fair enough. Well, what do you think are the most important steps we can take to build a more positive and inclusive future in the U S Oh my gosh. That's such a big, hard question. But I, um, Actually, I almost sent you this link. I, I gave us a speech recently at, at Front Range, um, Take Back the Night, which is, you know, like a, a sexual assault awareness event. Um, I'm a survivor. And what my message was, was that like, it starts with you. It starts with like your personal healing. You know, everyone has to be safe before they can heal and, and like work on their shit. And there's so many people who this world is still not safe for. And that's like the basics, like food, shelter, <laughs> water, like bodily safety. So I think, you know, you start with yourself, you get your shit together and then you like do what you can to make the world safe for other people. And I think, you know, I know your, your focus is climate. And I think that is a solution for me to climate change as well. It's like, you know, what would be great for climate change is if we had 47% of the country that's currently just like struggling to survive, if they were like comfortable and safe and could then have brain power to like think of solutions. That to me is like, if we don't have people at the basic necessities, they're not going to be able to participate in like making the world a better place and thinking of solutions. So I know that doesn't feel like super climatey, but to me, it's, it's like, we got to get people to a baseline and then we would have a more productive and like whole and creative society. Yeah, for sure. Well, no, that's very interesting. And then one of the things I've learned from, from studying this issue for basically a year now, well, at the end of the month, it'll have been a year since I started the podcast, is that it's so interconnected to every other issue that we have with society. That's why I'm happy to kind of talk to anyone about anything, because as long as we can make the world better, they should probably help with the, the climate. Is idea. The idea of the show, Changing the Climate, was meant to be like multifaceted, like the climate of like the economic society, the, you know, the environment, the social thing. I wanted to talk about all sorts of stuff, but I really, I, I do like spending a lot of time focusing i'm trying to find business oriented solutions to solve these problems because i don't have too much faith in the government to take care of it but um yeah well this has been this has been very interesting i'll, I'll just say this uh the reason that i focus on climate work is because i was trying to find a way because i'm as i mentioned multiple times i'm very big picture i was trying to find a way to help everyone at once. I didn't really want to focus on one specific group. I wanted to try and find a way to help everyone. And that's kind of just how I function. So Shay, it's been, it's been really nice talking to you today. I th thank you for sharing all your opinions. I appreciate you starting your own news outlet. I'm going to have to check it out. I've already read some of your articles. They've been pretty good. What's some final advice you have for someone else who's kind of looking to forge their own path in life or kind of start their own venture? Yeah. I, um, I don't know. As like a journalist or as like a human being, are you, are you asking me these? Um, whatever, whatever you want. I, I really love giving advice to people who want to like do their own thing or have an impact. Like I, as you can tell, I'm, a, I'm very like 
I'm a little bit too arrogant, egotistical. I'm always thinking about how one person can make a difference. But I think it's so, so true. Like when I go to someone's door and I knock and I say, hey, I'm the climate change realtor. Like people are like, whoa, that's so cool. There's this guy going out, like doing this one thing. So I'm always trying to inspire people to like show you, like you can change the world by just touching hearts one at a time. But I just wanted, yeah, I mean, you, you, you started your own business. So I wanted to ask you your advice for people who are looking to do their own thing or control their own destiny, you know? Yeah. Um, my advice is like kind of woo woo. It's kind of like boulder therapy, hippy dippy, but um, Let's get it. <laughs> I just really think it's so important to like work on your own shit. And I know I've said that before, but like there, if you have trauma, if you have like unresolved shit, like it's going to get in your way, it's going to limit your vision. It's going to, you know, impact you in ways that you don't even realize. So like I'm a professional like bullshit color outer and I only do that <laughs> because, and there are many of these and some are more successful than others. Like the Bill Mars and the Joe Rogans in the world, they're calling out bullshit, but they are not calling out their own bullshit. You have to get infinite, like intimately familiar with your own bullshit, whether you're like a bullshit color outer or not. Like this is just a really good piece of advice for anyone. Like know your own shit, know your weaknesses, know your strengths, like work through that hard stuff because once you learn to ask those hard questions, like starting anything new is hard. You're going to have to ask hard questions and answer them and like really push yourself. And so if you've already done that work in the personal sphere, I think it makes it so much easier in any other realm. And, um, you'll just be a more like authentic and grounded and like whole person. And that, what I, that is what I think is like leads to the most success. Uh, of course, that's not easy for everyone. It, it takes resources and it takes time. And, um, but if you can do it, like just start with your own corner of the world. I, I really believe in the power of like, like you said, like one person starting here and then, you know, branch out from there. That was beautiful. I couldn't agree more. And I, I'm, I'm working on the vainglory, Shay. I'm trying to do good, but not be too, too braggadocious about it. But it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much. It was, it was enjoyable. <laughs> no, no worries. All right, everybody. And of course, we'll see you next week. Take it easy. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Changing the Climate, the official podcast of Climate Change Realty. If you are very passionate about these issues and you know anyone considering buying or selling a home anywhere in the USA, then please visit ccrboulder.com today.